Well, good morning, everyone. It's good, isn't it, to be able to sing of all the things that uh, Jesus has done for us, you know, that we enjoy, um, that, the blood covenant that we have, all the, the peace and the joy, all the privileges that we have because we know him. It's just a complete joy. And I was going to start this morning by saying what a wonderful bunch of um, earthen vessels I have in front of me. And such we are, aren't we? Glorious earthen vessels. Well, perhaps not so glorious, the earthen bit, but the treasure that fills us because of what Jesus has done is wonderful. And uh, the more we can see the treasure, the better it is, isn't it? Hallelujah. And... Um, I've entitled this talk, Being Questionable. Um, this will, I hope, become clearer uh, as we go on, and certainly by the time I've finished, we'll understand where I'm coming from with this and, and what scripture I'm basing this on. Just to give a little hint, um, last week, I don't know if you remember, but Ben was the last person to speak. He always has the last word, of course. No, no, bless him. <laughs> but he did and uh, what he shared was not out of the flow of the rest of it but slightly distinct um, and it was about the gospel and um, leads him well to this week and what I want to try and share and so I have given it a little s subtitle um, taken from Augustine's Saint Augustine's or a quote attributed to him that basically says, you know, preach the gospel by all means possible, and if necessary, use words. And I hope that gives just a little hint of where we're going. Um, but I want to go on a bit of a, a journey to get to that point and to answer the question of what I mean by being questionable. Um, so, where do we start? Well, okay. okay. Now, hopefully... <laughs> Many of you will um, know what I'm, where I'm going with this. There are a number, well, our niece was one of those many children, I think, um, who misheard an expression. You know the old chorus, he will make us fishers of men, who mishear it and think, God's going to make us vicious old men. Well, <laughs> I'm pleased to say that, at least I hope it's not true, having got to be an old man that it's not, not true. But it comes, of course, from uh, this passage here in Luke. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. And there's a couple of things that we can note here. First of all, up to this point, they had been catchers of fish. They were now to become catchers of men. And this was a dramatic, unexpected, life-changing event caused by the arrival of Jesus in their lives. What they thought was their destiny and their purpose and their lives stretching before them changed 
almost in an instant. Jesus said, now you'll leave that behind and you'll move on to a very different destiny. And note too, that in the past, they caught fish that were alive and became dead in order to become food. They were now to catch those men, women, boys and girls who were dead, that they might become alive in Jesus and that the good news of the gospel would, would spread. So it's about spreading the good news. But what's the process that goes on when what ha needs to happen for the catch to be successfully landed, for, their, for conversions to take place? And remember that conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do that work. It's only the Holy Spirit that can bring conversion. But there is a process, and um, Isaiah 6 and 10, part of the verse anyway, gives us some idea what that process is. It says, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting that see comes before hear, because often we put hear before see don't we, in our thinking, at least I do. You know, it's all about hearing the gospel. But here, an emphasis is on seeing. Now, I'd like to come to a, a question to which I honestly don't know the answer. Okay. But we're going to look at it. Okay. Let's see what you think. I'm going to give you some, some thoughts, but I don't know honestly the answer and it's this one will there be a major worldwide revival or awakening before Jesus comes for his church okay and is it something that we long for and I would suggest yes absolutely something we pray for something we really want I'd just like to tell you a little story and um Many years ago, uh, when I was at home, I must have been visiting from university, I can't remember, but it was during that time. Uh, my brother was there um, as well, and at that point he wasn't saved, but I was, and I was still in my first flush of real passion and, and so on. Um, and I remember that we had a conversation, that, that Roger had had the same upbringing as me, same church background, same understanding, Christian parents, and so on. And uh, we were having a conversation. He probably doesn't remember this. But he was saying, and I remember him saying, I wish there was a revival. It would make it easy to become a Christian. And in a sense, you know, that's, that's true because... If many people are getting saved, then you don't feel the oddbods so much, do you, in coming to the Lord? Or somehow it's just easier to believe because God's doing something and it's just easier to make that decision. It's almost fashionable. <laughs> almost. But I just wondered what made me think of this story was when I considered it. It made me wonder too if I also think that a revival or an awakening would make it easy. 
And I suppose, yes, it would in many respects, because we would see the Spirit of God moving mightily. And we long for that, absolutely long for it. But do we think it makes it easy? And does it affect our thinking? Are we actually, even when we're praying that, projecting into the future rather than considering the present? I thought that was just an interesting question. So, another one. What does the Bible say? And I'd like to open to being corrected here. There's nothing about it at all. And I'd like to suggest that the Bible actually says nothing about it at all. But then, it didn't say anything about the Welsh Revival or the Hebridean Revival or... East Timor or Sousa Street or any of the others. It did about Nineveh and things like that. But it didn't specifically, as far as I'm aware, specifically give prophetic stuff about those revivals. So it doesn't mean to say there won't be a revival. We pray that there will, that there will be a harvest in this church age. But it doesn't say anything specific. So what does the Bible say? Okay, I think I've given two versions of the same verse here. From Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And then in the NIV, very similar. But, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come come now this comes in that portion of Matthew which is remember Matthew's written to the Jews primarily Jewish audience and it's also written in that portion which is to do with end times stuff and it tells us that the gospel the good news of Jesus the Messiah and the kingdom his kingdom will be proclaimed in all the nations of the world possibly all at the same time and then the end will come. Now, it doesn't actually say that everybody will believe. It just says that the gospel will be proclaimed in all nations as a testimony and as a witness. And there's two purposes in that. One is, of course, that everybody hears. And the other is that when it comes to the courtroom of judgment, nobody has, can say, we didn't hear because there is a witness and a testimony in that, that yes, the gospel was preached. So it talks about the end then coming. Before the end, this happens. So what does this refer to? Is it the rapture? Is it the taking of the church of born-again believers into heaven, the end? Well, it's certainly the end of the church age, but it's not the end of premillennial history. So I would suggest that the end refers to Jesus' second coming, which occurs after the seven years of tribulation. So another question. So is this worldwide witness that takes place in the tribulation a revival? Is there fruit from it? Chapter 7, verse 
verses 9 to 10, first of all. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Notice that, of all nations. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And going on, verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so this multitude that we saw in heaven were those that came out of the great tribulation. And so it would seem that there is what we might call a revival or awakening, certainly a big harvest that occurs in the tribulation after the church has gone into heaven. So I'm not trying to say that there won't be a revival before the rapture. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm trying to link it into scripture. And I think that we should be praying for revival. We do want to see a harvest. We long for that as long as our attitude is right and our reasoning is right. And not because we want it to be easy as a church or whatever. And there is some passages that give me hope, at least. These are just what I think, okay? And again, the timing of them I'm not entirely sure of. Okay, but it talks about the former and the latter rain, which is all to do with the harvest. So in Hosea 6 and 3, it says, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And then again in James 5 and verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. So if the the former rain was indeed the days of Pentecost and the early church, maybe the latter rain is also the end time of the church. So we would hope for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit and many to be saved. So I come to a, a final questions for this section. I sort of hinted at uh, well, that's probably part of my thinking and praying, actually, if I'm honest. But of course, there's also the desire to see the glory of God and for God to be glorified in the earth. And also because of compassion expressed in the desire for the lost to come into the truth and be rescued from what is a lost and horrible eternity. Now, if we do this, if it is because it will make it easy or we hope it will be easy, why might that be the case? So just go on to, it's basically in three sections this talk. So we go into a second section. And there's this verse, John six sixty six, great number, isn't it? Appropriate, really, here. 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, people can resist. And I think we already had a hint of that from John, what he was saying around the Christmas tree in, uh, in Chichester, that people may resist. Now, many of you probably had the sort of experience that Viv and I have had. I'm sure you have. We have some good neighbours who've become good friends. A couple, but both non-Christians. They were kind, thoughtful, um, lovely to be with, very caring, willing to give their time, all sorts of wonderful things. And when one of them developed breast cancer and it spread, and even though we prayed for her and told her we were, and even though she knew our, our beliefs and that she was facing the end of her life on earth, yet she showed no interest in the gospel, which is so sad. She asked no questions. She Indeed, she was hardened against him. And as far as we know, she died not having accepted Jesus as her saviour. Now you can imagine perhaps how we felt. We still miss this lovely lady quite a bit. And now he, too, is facing his own mortality. He's been diagnosed with coronary heart disease, which I think is often called, uh, I believe, the widow maker. And he's facing serious surgical interventions. Yet he, too shows no interest in really knowing or accepting the gospel or even asking appropriate questions. All the questions he asks are all peripheral. And even having invited him to next week, he says, well, actually, I don't think I'm quite re ready to meet Carol service. We tend to have a joke, you know. Um, yet, um, you know, so my reply to him, but even then he won't want to face up to these things and I expect we've all faced similar situations with people, our family uh, friends and so on and I wonder how it makes us feel sad frustrated powerless inadequate maybe questioning the quality of our own witness, I've been through all these so I'm wondering whether others have as well and perhaps even feeling responsible in some way that somehow we haven't said enough, done enough, prayed enough, been enough. But what I want to do is try and encourage us not to be discouraged. You see, because if this happened to Jesus, that even Je these were people who were following Jesus hearing what he had to say about the truth of the kingdom, and yet they no longer followed him. They turned back, turned away. And there are others. Let's just run through one or two others. Scriptures. It says John 1, 11, He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. John three ten and 11. Jesus answered and said to him, that's to... Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we, 
speak what we know, that's him and the Holy Spirit and the Father, speaking to him and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. We believe he did, of course, eventually. But even this man who was the teacher of Israel didn't accept witness testimony from Jesus. John 4:39 Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Just note that it says many, not all. And Selwyn Hughes, I think I've got it on here, yep, in a little booklet called A Fresh Vision of God, said this, the reason why so many fail to find Christ is because they are so unreceptive. Christ cannot give himself to them because they do not give themselves to him. See, I'm not trying to be negative here or discouraging, but to help us to understand that even with our witness and testimony, there will be many who choose not to follow. So we shouldn't be discouraged or frustrated or even surprised. Jesus and his proclamation of the gospel was rejected by the majority. And so one final one in this section went to her. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one children together as a hen goose who was sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. This is a great way to pray, actually, isn't it? For those who are still lost, or even for the prodigals, that they might be willing. People might be willing, might become receptive. They become good soil for the good seed to be planted in it, to see harvest. And it makes it, it makes us realize that actually when we are trying to share the gospel in word or deed, you know, there will be resistance. There will be resistance. It is a battle that we're in. And there will be many, unfortunately, who will follow the broad path to destruction rather than the narrow path to life. Not that we give up. Not that we give up at all. So, let's come on to being questionable. Um, and this little quote from Charles Spurgeon here. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. And I want to come to just a few practical suggestions in a minute. Just to illustrate this, if I go back to my friend that I've been talking about, one of the reasons we get on so well is we've got a similar sense of humour. Okay, quite sort of schoolboyish, really. But we do quite, um, yeah, sort of crazy type stuff, really. And uh, recently, um, well, I can't remember how long ago now, but we were having coffee near the seafront, near the pier. And um, he started saying, had I seen the man with the iguana? And um, this guy's got a pet iguana. And it, often on hot, sunny days, he'll bring it out, uh, put it on the seawall there so that it can sun itself, get the heat, and so on. And of course, inevitably, you don't see many iguanas in Bognor Regis, and so you do get people that come along and start asking questions or taking an interest. 
And so we actually started thinking, well, we could perhaps, because he's, he's quite a gadget man, um, likes little projects. He thought, well, I'm going to build a, um, a machine, lots of bells, whistles, lights, you know, sounds, hooters, and so on, that looks really interesting, but does absolutely nothing. So that we could take it and put it on the seawall and see how many people come and ask us questions. What's it do? And all the rest of it. Okay, it hasn't happened. But um, it just, you know. No, I'm not suggesting that we do sort of silly things, daft things like that. Or it might be possible. Um, I won't tell you the suggestions that John Adair made to me once about where we could go. The end is nigh and, and so on. Um, you know, with placards saying the end is nigh and, and so on. Which is true, <laughs> actually. It is true. So, let's get a little bit more serious than that. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote this. He said, the best method of evangelism I've, I've ever read was Peter's own strategy for winning the lost. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And in fact, the verse then continues, do this with gentleness and respect. Now, David Jeremiah here is using the word evangelism. He's meaning it um, in a very sort of low-key sense. Um, most of us are not evangelists. Um, J. John gives a quite a good um, Distinction between the two, he said, you know, think of a courtroom, uh, and in there you will have witnesses, people who don't need to prepare because they're going to talk about something they've heard, read, seen, or experienced. So they don't need to prepare, they can speak it. But you also, in there, have lawyers who do need to prepare and who draw together all the um, arguments and make the defense or the case. Those are equivalent to evangelists. Now most of us will be in the category of witness, really. Remember Acts 1.8 does tell us that we will be his witnesses. He says you will be my witnesses and it's not a, it's a promise, not a command. It's a promise that we will be because we're filled with the Holy Spirit or it's indwelling and hopefully empowering, that we will be witnesses. We can't help it. Just talking about, I'm just going to digress just for one moment. There's a, a lady called, I don't know how to pronounce her name, I came across, called Hayton or Harton or Haitian, uh, H-A-T-U-N. And she's one of the most prolific evangelists probably in the country that we wouldn't have heard of. She's seen over a thousand Muslims come to the Lord. And amongst that, many Imran, uh, Imrans as well. Um, she was an ex-Muslim. And it's interesting that she found that um, telling them that God loves them didn't work. Got no reaction at all. But saying to them, uh, Muhammad is a false prophet, got reaction. And they could enter into discussion and so on. Uh, the last I heard, she'd gone missing. Um, and they weren't sure whether this was because she's just remembering her, H-A-T-U-N, patient. But anyway, let's come back to just being witnesses and think about the way forward. And so I'd like to suggest five, five things as we come to, to an end. First of all, us. 
and particularly our relationship with the Lord. That verse in 1 Peter started, sanctify God in your hearts. So put God first in our lives. Are we prepared to make a sacrifice for the sake of him and for the gospel? Remember I'm saying, do we pray for revival in the hope that it will make it easy? It ends with gentleness and respect. And this is to do with our character development and our witness. What do people experience as they meet with us? You know, perhaps we still need a bit of work on our anger and frustration, irritability, pride or ego. Perhaps we need a bit more time in God's presence to deal with some of those things. There's a favorite verse of mine in, in Psalm 34, verse 5, and it just said they looked to him and were radiant. Now that gets some attention, wouldn't it? You know, if you're a bit like Moses, if we were a bit like Moses after we come down the mountain. And also, there's that bit, isn't it? John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave. You know, do we have that similar attitude? I'm asking questions of myself very much here. This has been some new thinking, new developing for me um, in this, questioning for myself. The second, oh, sorry, I didn't go through all these. I forgot I put them on. Uh, the next one, number two, is opportunity, both to take and to make. Says the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus made an opportunity. He made an opportunity here. It's interesting, I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um, of a chap called Fred, Frederick Hertzberg. Has anybody ever heard of Frederick Hertzberg? No. He was a motivation theorist. Um, I used to have to teach him to the sixth formers, and I always used to make the joke of a headline, you know, Fred Hertzberger, um, shock horror type thing. But, you know, he came up with a theory called hygiene, which I also made a joke about, his wife being called Jean and so on. But... Um, wasn't true. No, I'm not going to go into that. But I, I saw a video to something to do something. The first thing you've got to do is give them opportunity. So if you want to motivate people to play the piano, you've got to give them the opportunity to play the piano. Um, and so opportunity is quite an important thing. And I, I just wonder if you remember when Steve Ball came and he talked to us, didn't he, about uh, what was it called God's presence in miracles and healings? And he told the story about Gail, who was the CEO of a small charity in Cardiff, offering counselling services to all who needed it. Um, and it was a small charity dependent on grants and donations. And because of COVID, all that had dried up. And so she had no, they had no finance. And it was getting desperate because jobs were at stake. They brought in a fundraising firm who had nil success. And so she announced, she was a believer, 
The rest of them weren't, but she was a believer and, and slightly extrovert, I gather. And she announced to them all, I'm going to pray. And within an hour, £10,000 arrived. And by the end of the week, £60,000, another 60000 had arrived. And so the charity and the jobs were saved. An opportunity created because one of the non-believers then came and talked to her for an hour. Her aunt had just died and she wanted to talk about heaven. As a pastor, opportunity had been given. And there was a pastor, I think American, but it doesn't really matter. He probably moved towns, but he suddenly realized he knew no unbelievers around him. And so he went out. He obviously liked sports, so he went out and joined the local sports club and team to create opportunity. So, number three, prepare. Prepare practically. We all have a unique testimony. The question is, can we tell that person, somebody, fairly succinctly what it is? I once asked, you know, suggested that if people want to write it down, I'd look at what they said. And uh, Ron Black, bless him, did so. But it covered three pages of A4. And uh, it needed a little bit of work. And the idea is, really, if we can do it in four minutes... It's good, and um, there are many here, if we wanted to work on that, get your testimony. Why you have the hope within us? Why do we have that hope within us? We can get down an answer into four minutes that we're ready to uh, share. We would be prepared. It doesn't need more than that. We don't have to be the lawyer giving a defense. You know, We just need to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Why did we get saved? Why have we accepted Jesus? Fourth one. Did I say there was only five? Yeah, I think so. Uh, four, giving. I was challenged on this as I was sort of working on, on this. Remember that your treasure is where your heart is. So it's, easy. it's a wonder, isn't it? We could check where our giving goes and that might reflect where our heart is. You know, and... Um, I had to, to, to think, well, okay, where does my giving go? Is it going just to, to meet needs, or is it actually going for the proclamation of the gospel as well? Um, and that's challenged me. I'm pleased to say that as a church, we give a lot, actually, out of the income, about a fifth, sometimes heading up to a quarter uh, of what we give. And, and in that is those ministries with prayer. And finally, okay, prayer. Sharing our prayering. Okay, sharing our prayering. Um, and I'd like to make a practical suggestion here. And I'd like feedback, not you know, not here, but to me or to, to Ben or to others. I have mentioned it to Ben. Because many of us are no doubt praying for in named individuals in our family or friends. Certainly that's true for Viv and I, and I'm sure it's true for many others. And what I'd quite like to suggest is that we create an opportunity to do that together. Uh, one of the things that Gerald was going to share this morning was about a prayer initiative that they're doing through PATH. And one of those things 
uh, is about unity. And one of the aspects of us doing this would be that we wouldn't be praying on our own, but praying in unity. And I'm reminded very much of um, John's talk on the power of agreement on the Amen. And um, so I would be quite happy to host a Zoom, perhaps once a fortnight, um, you know, where we can just pray, not in general, but specifically for individuals together. Um, so if you feel that that's good, please give some feedback. That would be really good. It need only be 30 minutes, 40 minutes or whatever. Okay. So I come to the end now. And all I can say is, oh, one other point. Okay. All the weapons and the armor listed in Ephesians 6, as I understand it, are defensive. The only weapon that we have that can be offensive in terms of the gospel is love. It's the only weapon that we have is showing love. Whether that's speaking the gospel truth, doing it in love, and so on. But love. So what I'd like to say to you all now is go from here and be questionable. Behave in such ways and live a life. Let's all do that. Live a life in such a way that actually people ask us questions. Why? Why do we believe? Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. Father, that you have saved us. And Father, we rejoice in our salvation. We really do, Father. We are so delighted, Lord, with what Jesus has done for us, for the blood he has shed for us, Father. We are so grateful. And Father, we have such a desire, Lord, that others may come into your kingdom. And Father, please help us not to put that off, that desire, as it were, thinking something perhaps a bit future or something that you might do. Lord, help us to be co-laborers with you in that. And Father, we just want to uh, commit ourselves to you. The Lord, you would help us to be braver and bolder. Help us to walk closely with you. Father, we would love that our faces would be radiant and shine with your glory, with your presence. Father, help us to be like uh, James here. You know, and it's because he's communing with Jesus. And Father, help us to be like that, Father. Help us, Father. We want to see people coming to know you. Father, we'd love to see it today and tomorrow, Father. Lord, so we commit this to you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that my brothers and sisters have listened patiently to me. Father, please speak to us that which you want to say. Lord, and take away from our minds that which is, is not relevant for today. But speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.